0: Boy, it's good to be back uh, here for the Wednesday Bible Study, and we thank you for taking time to join us. Uh, and really, this is kind of a historic uh, uh, edition of the Wednesday Bible Study today because, um, as you can already see behind me, for those of you that watch on YouTube, a lot of things are, are gone. Uh, probably some of you thankful to see the pinball machine and the wheel of meat go as far as the Bible study. I bet There's a lot of Bible studies out there, but I bet you don't find many they have a pinball machine and a willow of meat in the background. But this uh, this one, of course, did. This is the studios of the Rick and Bubba Show. For those of you that don't know that, uh, you can find a bunch of stuff about the Rick and Bubba Show on this same YouTube channel and on this uh, podcast channel if you so desire. But the Wednesday Bible Study, as, as far as this location, uh, this will be the last one. We have been in this studio doing this Bible study uh, for eight years. Uh, so uh, so of, of the 14 years that the show's been housed here. So uh, this is where the Wednesday Bible study began. This is where the strategy from uh, that this is where it was uh, you know, worked out uh, with my local church and some, uh, some of the guys from the local church. And uh, now it has expanded into a Bible study that is viewed and, and heard worldwide. Uh, and now a whole men's discipleship strategy has been launched out of here Uh, called themanchurch.com. If you're not familiar with that, go to themanchurch.com. You'll see that we have a turnkey men's discipleship strategy for you to implement into your community, into your church, Uh, and uh, we'd be more than happy to help you with curriculum. We have that there for you. We have resources for individuals, for dads and sons, and of course we also put together conferences uh, and uh, and provide speakers as well. So you can find all that at themanchurch.com. Speaking of that, uh, we do have a man church coming up this week. If you're watching and listening live, uh, then it would be the 15th of December. uh, And tomorrow, the 16th, uh, Mac Brunson will be teaching and speaking at a man church service at First Baptist Church in Opelika, Alabama. And you're welcome to join him. If you've never heard him uh, teach and preach, you have missed it. You need to take advantage to do that. And they'll also get you ready uh, if you're part of that community or that church uh, or you just want to attend, uh, next year they'll be doing uh, another one of our 40-week curriculums uh, as our new one comes out in 2022 called Be Disciples. Uh, so uh, that's, on the, that's the last uh, Man Church of the year. If you want to see what's happening in 2022, you go to themanchurch.com, click on events, and you'll see uh, the next uh, uh, group of Man Churches and really the entire year. If it's already booked, it'll be there, including a couple of conferences. And I want you to make plenty, if you're looking for some great Christmas gifts, uh, go ahead and get your tickets to the man event. Uh, I'll be joining uh, Hugh Freeze uh, and Charles Billingsley at uh, Olive Baptist Church in Pensacola, Florida. Uh, and if you own that one, if you want to bring your wife with you, you can. Now, everything there is going to be focused toward men, and the messages will be uh, you know, directed at, at men. But if you and your husband want to do that together, uh, because my wife Sherry will be speaking uh, uh, the perspective from a woman's point of view, uh, of uh, what uh, uh, Scripture calls for us to be for our wives and our and the mothers of our children. Uh, you can certainly join your husband there if you would like. Uh, also, Hugh Freeze will give his testimony. You know what his marriage went through. He'll be talking very candidly about that. And the fact that Charles Billingsley uh, is leading worship. He does women's ministry and men's ministry, so he's a nice little bridge between those two worlds. Uh, so Charles will be there. We'll have a lot of fun. We'll, we will have some you know, cut-up time, I'll be doing a comedy deal, but then we'll also be getting very serious as well. So it's a one-nighter, uh, and it is February the 4th, Pensacola, Florida. If you want tickets to that, they're on sale right now. Just go to themanchurch.com and click on Events and also the Pursuit Men's Conference, uh, and this is a men and men only, but this will be coming to Dothan, Alabama, the Dothan Civic Center. It's our third year to do this. Uh, Jonathan Evans and Andy Blanks will be joining me. I'll be speaking there with them and Charles Billingsley would do uh, worship for us there as well. So uh, look for those. That's February uh, the 19th and the 20th, and you can find that at themanchurch.com as well. So why don't we open up in a word of prayer, and we're going to finish today uh, the powerful book of 1 Corinthians by finishing 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Lord Jesus, be with us as we open up your word. Uh, may you uh, just take our hearts and, and refine them today. May we receive exactly what you intend today through the power uh, of the Holy Spirit, for us to see it and hear it in a way maybe we never have before. In your name we pray. Amen. So 1 Corinthians 16 ends this powerful book, uh, and, and this is one of those things. You, this may be a, a, an odd way to look at this, but I know some of you that may be searching and seeking, and you're trying to ask the question, uh, is, the, is, is the Holy Bible the best-selling book of all time, Is it truly the inspired word of God? Uh, Well, there's a lot of uh, support to the fact that it is, uh, especially if you already believe in God. Then, you know, certainly if you believe all the things about God that he says about himself and that are evident in creation, him getting uh, his revelation about himself, uh, which is what the Bible is ultimately about, it's about God. uh, And also, it uh, lets us know who we are, why we're here, where did we come from. Uh, and, and, uh, and, and of course, what are we supposed to, what, we, what are we supposed to do with our life? If you believe that he is who he says he is, he can certainly pull that off, uh, without, you know, men getting in the way and messing it up. But one of the things you look to is if this was a made up book, there's just certain things that are in this Bible that wouldn't be there. And believe it or not, Romans, I mean, sorry, first Corinthians 16 is actually one of those things. Now, what do I mean by that? So uh, I was reading some of the commentaries on it and I'd kind of thought this on my own, but, um, uh, john Phillips kind of confirmed this uh, when john Phillips said if we were making up a book and we were writing first corinthians we would end it with 15. we wouldn't do 16. because 15 we did it last week i mean this if you're writing a movie you're writing a screenplay uh when we're, we're we're talking about that Jesus Christ has overcome death and Jesus Christ has has answered all the questions of the cosmos okay that'd be our that's where we'd end it, and the credits would roll, and it would say the end if we were making up a story. But that's not what Paul does, to show that it actually is a letter uh, from a follower of Jesus to a church that he planted, and to fellow followers of Jesus are those that are seeking. Because he does this, he tells us this great truth about Jesus last week, and if you missed it, go back and pick up. I think we did three sessions on chapter 15 because it needs three. And then you would think that would be the end of it, but now what do we have from Paul? Now let's run down some things we need to be doing. Let's get to business. Well, then you would think, well, that I wouldn't do that if I was making up a story. I wouldn't go into now, let me run a bunch of details about of travel plans uh, and, and what we need to start doing to advance the kingdom of God. You know what he says? Let's celebrate what is to come. That's last week. Let's celebrate what it is to come. And then he turns to six and he says, now let's get back to work. I love that. Let's get back to work. So that's that's it. And I think we need to hear that today. We need. To, I love Christmas. Christmas is awesome. I love remembering that God came to us. I love celebrating this. I'm learning things about it last Sunday that I've never even thought about before. It, it's a story. It's the greatest story of all time. And we know what has already happened, and then we know what is to come. But in the meantime, I think a lot of us need to be told, get to work. And that's what Paul's going to tell us today. Let's get to work. Uh, so uh, would not be the way that I would finish a story uh, that I made up. You know what? Our heads are still in the clouds from last week, but now we come down from the mountain and we go from the mysteries of the universe and the marvels about our glorified bodies And you know what he gets down to right out of the gate? Something as simple as, hey, now let me tell you how we're going to take up this collection. (laughs) We just left talking about glorified bodies, and now we're going to talk about, now here's how I want this collection to go for the church in Jerusalem. And here's how I think we need to do it. So Paul, uh, he says there's there's nothing wrong with the mountaintop experience. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But we got to be ready to get back to work. So he's going to talk about taking up a collection. He's going to talk about his future plans, and then he's going to talk about uh, how we advance the gospel. So verses 1 and 2, let's let let's read those first. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so also uh, are to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there'll be no collecting when I come. Remember, we're talking about Paul being smart in the strategy. I, I don't I, don't let me get there, and y'all haven't done this, and now I have to uncomfortably ask for somebody to pass the plate for the church in Jerusalem. I don't want to have to do that, so I don't want y'all to to put to to put yourself in that position. You go ahead and you do that on the first day of every week, which is what Sunday. So you know some of these things I've heard people say before. Where in Scripture do we see this mandate that we start meeting on Sundays? Well, here's one. Uh, the, the, the first day of the week, y'all, y'all be sure and take up a collection. That sound familiar? Uh, and, and then when I get there, I expect this story to be done. So this is for that church in Jerusalem. Uh, they, they were extremely poor as you know. Uh, and he was promoting this throughout the Gentile churches. That's why you see him reference Galatia. Now I've already told them to do this and I want y'all to do the same thing. Now he, uh, I, I, I love this this is one of those things that when you dive deeper and you start reading the history of what was going on here there's some things that rise up out of scripture that that are that are beautiful now we already know that in 15 uh in verses 9 and 10 that paul is is carrying around like we do sometimes even though we've been forgiven we still struggle with the earthly repercussions of our sins and Paul is telling us, what, in 9 and 10, that he shouldn't even be an apostle. And then he, t- and he says, why? Because I persecuted the church. You realize that this, if this church in Jerusalem are some of the people he persecuted. And he always had a heart for them. First of all, they're his people. They're the first messianic uh, Jewish people. They're, they're the first Christian church, and it's in Jerusalem. These are Jews. And they're having a tough go of it, and some of it he caused. Because this is the continuing persecution of those that think Paul's lost his mind and they've picked up what he was doing and they're continuing to do it. So, a lot of these people are suffering because Paul started persecuting them and he's always wanting to make amends for that. He wants to take care of them. And, uh, and so, uh, and, uh, he, he also wants to see what this is how I want you to do it. I want you to give Sunday to Sunday. And how about this? I love this, and I've always thought the way this should be when people are talking about giving, especially if you've already made a declaration of um, of redemption. This thing about giving should not be something we keep having to hound you about, and Paul's not going to hound them about it. You know what he says? This is how you do it, and I expect you to do it through obedience. Just do it. Do it joyfully. I'm I'm not putting a lot of high pressure on you, I'm just saying go ahead and pull something back every week from all the way you've been prospered. Because remember, the church in Corinth, these are rich people. A lot of these people are very wealthy. And he says, so y'all have prospered. Pull some of that aside, and I want you to do that Sunday to Sunday. When I get there, I expect it to be there. And you you realize he never he never picks it up again. He just says straightforward, this is what you need to do. And we assume they did it. Uh, so then 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 let's look at, um, at 3 through 4, verses 3 through 4. And when I arrive, I will send them send those who you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem if it seems advisable that I should go also, then I'll accompany him. I love this. Can you imagine being the people at Corinth? Uh, you know, let's let's just say that, you know, we're sitting there and all of a sudden we're the church at Corinth. And all of a sudden we all decide that that and I'm talking to men in the room for those who don't know that Jerry, you and James Y'all going to take our gift and y'all going to go to Jerusalem and give it to them. And all of a sudden I'm reading the letter and you hear, and Paul, if we think it'd be the best thing, he said, he'll go with you. Can you imagine that you're about to get to go to the church in Jerusalem and take this gift and Paul's going to go with you? That'd be quite the trip, wouldn't it? And, and, and so he says, um, uh, I, uh they should suggest who's going to take it. And he said, that's y'all's call. Y'all know the church body, pick out the guys you think should go. And he says, um, and they'll have the gift that we're going to take. Pick who you want uh, to write the letters, and uh, and and then I'll come and I'll add my own notes, and I and I'll sign it. And how about this? He says, and I'll even go with them. Now, guys, I want you to imagine what it would be like to leave Corinth, headed to Jerusalem, and and your and your guide to get you there, and the guy who's going to camp with you going to sit by the fire with you, and going to carry on conversations with you is the Apostle Paul. You think that would be a trip worth taking? Yeah, I think it would too. I can't imagine what that would be like. But but it, but when they're reading this in the letter, uh, it, it has to bring some excitement to this church body. So then verses 5 through 9, here, here's what he says. He said, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps— I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to, to to see you now just in passing. I want to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened for me, and there are many adversaries. <laughs> I mean, it is it that I mean, it just hearing how straightforward this is, don't you feel that somebody didn't didn't just make this up? Don't you feel that this stuff really happened? Don't you feel it right now? I mean, that he's getting into this kind of detail and he's talking about what's going on. Y'all, this is the church that we are still part of. This is it starting. This is the game planning. This is how it's going. And we are these are our ancestors. This is what we're supposed to be continuing. And, and let's, let's unpack some of the things he says. He is coming soon to Corinth. We got that. He's going to stay a little bit longer in Ephesus. He lets him know that. Why? Because a revival was breaking out. Hey, God's opening doors here, so I'm going to stay a little bit longer here. Then I'll cross over to Macedonia, and then I'm going to visit and encourage all my church plants there. So he's probably going to go by Philippi and uh, Thessalonica, and, and hit those on the way because we do see something, though. Now think about him saying, now I'm going to do these things if this is what the Lord permits. If we were to study 2 Corinthians, and I think you should, whether we ever get to it or not, in this Bible study, if you look at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 15, the plan that he just laid out had to be changed. It, it st- that he started getting obstacles and things happening, so what he just laid out does not happen that way because uh, things do change, and we see this in the, in the second letter. But uh, he was going to, uh, to stay the winter. That was his impending plans. But notice he, these were his immediate plans. And, and I think this is something that I really need to work on, and, and I'm, I'm trying to work on. And, and what I'm working on where I struggle on the spiritual discipline is the spiritual discipline of slowing down. And, and spending quality time not just you know, i mean spending quantity time as well as quality time and what he's saying is i don't want to just come in and go he said i want to spend quantity and quality with you and and as a matter of fact i'm ready to postpone my visit to europe and just stay with you guys through the winter and he even says i just don't want to come in and go i want to get there and spend some time with you and he says and, and and when the lord opens the door that's when i'll be there and uh, i'm going to stay in ephesus a, a little longer and 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 have you have you have you picked up this why does he say there's great opportunities right now i mean don't miss this it's very important why does he say that the wide door for effective work has opened to him why adversaries persecution Hey, man, I'll tell you what, this persecution that's going on in Ephesus, we're seeing fruit from this. And I'm going to hold on to this a little bit longer because the Lord is opening doors because of all the adversaries that we have. Now, I want you to think about that. Great opportunity because there's great opposition. Now, I wonder if the Western church sees it that way. A lot of times, the Western Church, we think that um, the great opportunities abound when when everything's going great, we, when we're being prospered, and and you know, I really I really believe that 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 sometimes, sadly, some some of the things that I see, I believe that some people believe the United States of America is heaven on earth, and that's what they think it should be. And and when it doesn't go that way, as opposed to that looking like opportunity, it seems like that's when we start. Uh, you know, complaining and grumbling and we lose our joy and we're poor, poor, pitiful me and woe is me and I see no hope and I see no future. Now, let me tell you something. If you understand the gospel and you know what God's already done and you know what he's going to do, there's never a moment you're on this earth that you don't have hope. There's never a moment. I couldn't care less how bad it gets. Now, do I enjoy the discomfort? I don't. But do I understand the discomfort? I do. And does the discomfort ever make me lose hope in the future plans of God? Never. Never. And that's what Paul is saying. He said, you know what I've noticed? Since since Ephesus is starting to take a little heat, I'm starting to see some devout followers of Jesus here. They're they're starting to rise up to this opposition and this suffering, this persecution is producing a much stronger church. And I may hang on to this. And and why do you think that, that Paul would be somebody you'd want around? When he when all of a sudden opposition arises. That's all he's ever known. Remember what he said, I die all the time. People are always trying to kill me. So, you know, it'd be good to have him around if you'd never experienced that before, wouldn't it? Do you think people that say, Hey, look, I've been through this, don't they always seem helpful? You know what I do every time something's going on that I think I don't know what our situation is like right here. You know who I look to to see how they're acting? Those who've been there before. And if they're not freaking out, I don't freak out. Because I may not know what's going to happen, but it looks like they've been here before. They ain't nothing better than been there before. And uh, and so Paul says, let me walk them through what? Let me walk through this opposition. Hey, because of this opposition, doors are wide open. Do we see opposition as God opening doors? Or do we see opposition that somehow God's abandoned us? Opposition is always an opportunity. Always an opportunity. And uh, you know, and you see this throughout scripture, which we've we've covered in here many, many times. So um remember this, because you remember when Paul wrote to young Timothy, who we're going to get to in this letter, by the way. Young Timothy's gonna show up. What do you tell young Timothy? Tell everyone, all of those that choose to live a godly life, they will be persecuted. So he didn't say those who choose a godly life, some of them will be persecuted. All will be persecuted. So remember this: you know where Satan attacks, where there's movement. You know where the adversary spends time, where there's movement. You know where he doesn't spend time, where there's nothing to be concerned about. I love this, and and they didn't. I, I, nobody could tell me who to credit uh, this with, but I want to credit to somebody. But this person is unknown. It's just kind of a saying that got passed down. Uh, through a lot of the, uh, theologians throughout time, no one really knows who the first person to say it was. But this is a beautiful statement. Write this down. Here's the beautiful thing about if Satan and and or his adversaries decide to attack, because remember, Romans chapter eight. Hey, if God be with us, who can be against us? He says Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. Satan trembles even when our fourth string gets serious, which would be me. Even when the weakest of the saints decides to get on his knees, Satan trembles. Because why? Because we're accessing God. It doesn't matter who you are. If you got God, you're stronger than Satan, and he knows it. So I want you to imagine why Paul says he can help these people. Now, let, let's, let's go through this, and I found this uh, from John Phillips. Listen to this resume. May it be ours. Okay, may it be ours. Paul's not deity, but, boy, is he a good example of just a guy who loves Jesus. Okay? You lock him up, he'll convert the jailers. That's history. He, he did it. And also, half of Nero's guards were converted by Paul. Nero who will eventually kill Paul. But the people that Nero sent to guard Paul, Paul didn't say, well, poor, poor, pitiful me. He says, well, I'm going I'm to point you all to Jesus, and he does. You set him free, and he'll evangelize the entire world if you set him free. He was credited with starting movements in entire continents. Now, that's what happens if you set him free. Persecute him, he'll draw even closer to the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. If you've never read it. Persecute him, he draws even closer. If you if you go in and try to subvert any of his church plants, what does he do? He produces God breathed letters that inspire and inform countless generations of disciples. That's what all these letters we're reading came from. People tried to attack his church plants. Look what he produced. Now, listen to this. Kill him, which eventually does happen. You simply make him a martyr, and you promote him to glory. Now, what are you going to do with Paul? He's undefeatable. Why? Because of Christ. Do you live that way? Is that that how you live your life? Everything that happens to you, you're, you're, you're saying, this produces this kind of ministry. This produces that kind of ministry. This produces that kind of ministry. And if I'm dead, I'm just with Jesus. What did he say to the church at Philippi? To live as Christ, to die as game. If you could ever get that and not just say it, but truly believe it, you have just found the meaning of life. And, and nobody can touch you. This doesn't mean you won't have difficult times. It doesn't mean you won't be uncomfortable. I didn't say that you just can't be defeated. You know why we're seeing so many people, young people take their own lives? I mean, at, 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 at levels we'd really never seen before, as far as young people are concerned. Because they look to their future and they don't see any hope. Unlike us, when we were growing up, most of us could look to the future and see that we probably would have it better than our parents. This generation isn't sure about that. And if they don't have Jesus, they're easily convinced there's no reason to live. But as long as you have Jesus, there's every reason to live. And you say, well, why do I live? To advance his kingdom. What am I supposed to do with my life? Advance his kingdom. Well, I'm not really in the job or ended up in the career or I didn't get to use my degree the way I thought it would. Are you advancing the kingdom of God? Yes, well, then you're right where you're supposed to be. Who cares? Whatever job you thought was going to uh, you know, be your identity, that wasn't your identity anyway. You may get to do what you'd rather do and enjoy doing, maybe, as long as you're advancing the kingdom. But you may be in a job you don't like at all, but the one thing that it does is give you an opportunity to advance the kingdom. That's how Paul saw it. I'm in jail. Okay, I guess I'm supposed to convert the guards. Hey, I'm free. Okay. Man, I'm really rolling now. I can do all kinds of things. Hey, you know that church plant that you did? Yeah, they're messing with them. All right, well, let me write them a letter. Hey, today, Paul, 2 Timothy, believe this is the last time. What does he say? The Lord has revealed to me this is it. And what does Paul say? Hey, bring me my jacket if you can get it to me before the winter, but if not, I'm probably not going to be here. But here's what you need to know. I have fought the fight. I have run the race, and I will—not a I might—I will receive the crown of righteousness from my Lord and Savior, and so will everyone else who who celebrates His coming. I hope Paul's doing for y'all what he's doing for me, and uh, and when and the way that he looked at opposition in his own words, a wide door for effective work that has opened. Ooh. Instead of running away from the problem, he ran to it and said, that's a door right there. People are going to need hope, and I've got it. Is that how you live your life? If not, maybe you might want to adjust. I certainly was uh, convicted by a lot of this preparing over the last few days. All right, so the next thing he goes is, is through verses 10 through 12. Believe it or not, he's not done. Here comes Timothy. When Timothy comes... See that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I'm expecting him with the brothers. All right, so let's talk about Timothy first. He's going to talk about Apollos next. So first of all, one thing that we notice about Timothy is that Timothy was young. We know that Timothy— Seem to be a little timid, because the thing that he's saying is, I don't, I don't want to hear that y'all mistreated Timothy when he gets there. I'm sending him with a big responsibility, and I want y'all to be there to lift him up, not to give him a hard time. I want him to feel comfortable among you. I want him to be taken care of. I want him to be encouraged. And look what he says, and, I'll, and then I'll talk about both of them. Verse twelve. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit with you, uh, with the other brothers. But it is not at his will to come now, but he will come when he has an opportunity. All right, so let's talk about Timothy first. And um, so he's talking about uh, that that Timothy is going to, to be coming to to see. And you're going to see in a minute he's going to start mentioning some other guys, and I'll tell you more about them. Um, but um, Paul is has dispatched Timothy and Erastus from Ephesus to Corinth. And you're going, you're going to see uh, Erastus show up uh, in here as well. Um, and so Timothy is coming uh, with him. And Erastus, if, if, he, if you uh, will look at this throughout history, they, this was a big convert for the new church because he actually was the chamberlain of the city of Corinth. He was like a treasurer. He was a civil servant, and he had great dignity. And, of course, he was important. Now write these verses down. If you want to know more about Erastus that, that is also coming, go to Romans 16:23, write that down. and also Acts 19:22 and you'll you'll find out more about this. So So he's sending him with Timothy. Why? Why would he send him with Timothy? Because it's going to add a little weight to Timothy's arrival. You know the, the, the Corinthians thought a lot of Erastus. They didn't know much about Timothy. but if Erastus is coming back with Timothy, that, that'll kind of give him a little credibility, some cred. Okay. And uh, Paul seems to be concerned uh, that this task that he was giving Timothy to go to Corinth and get there before him was kind of dawning to a young man. You could see that. It'd be like me grabbing J.C. Wilburn out of here, and I've been mentoring him. And I said, by the way, I'm going to stay here at Ephesus, but I'll go get Erastus and y'all go on to Corinth and start talking about what we need to do there. You know, J.C. may be going, wow, that's a, that's a big responsibility. I'm kind of fired up that Paul would um, you know send me to do that but I'm a little bit intimidated by it well okay take Erastus with you because they love him okay and he was a big convert for you and and that'll kind of give you some credit as you get there but he's going as far not just to do that what is he telling the, the people at Corinth don't give him trouble now don't don't let me hear that he got there and y'all didn't take care of him and y'all didn't listen to him okay he's in he's coming on my on my behalf he has authority and y'all treat him with respect and and put him at ease. Let him know he's welcome. So that's that's just a cool mentor is what that is. That's Paul doing a good uh, a good job. He's telling them to, to make him feel welcome and to take care of him. He, he's kind of smoothing the way as best he can. You ever had older men do that for you? They, they, they know some people that you don't know, and they're sending you, and they said, I'll call some of them. Look, I know them. I've, I've known them. For, let me smooth the way for you a little bit. You'll be fine. And so that's kind of what we're seeing here. Uh, and because the, the Corinthians were very sophisticated people, and he said they had the potential to look down on young Timothy, and he was going to make sure that didn't happen. Uh, he is young, but the fact that Paul would send him, you know, what we know about Timothy, and he—you realize Timothy's made the pastor of the church at Ephesus. So Timothy may be young, but he's a horse and he's solid, and he's—and he's, and he's been taught by as good as it gets, the apostle Paul. So you know what he says: hands off Timothy, and y'all don't belittle him. So. Wouldn't that be cool to have somebody like that go ahead and lay down the lay down the groundwork for you? Now, Apollos is a different deal in verse twelve. It's obvious that Paul wanted Apollos to go because the Corinthians loved him. But you know why Apollos doesn't want to go? Because the Corinthians loved him. And and Paul's already dealt with this, if you remember, earlier in the letter. I don't like all this the not divisiveness that some of y'all say. Apollos is the man, and some of y'all say that Peter's the man, and some of y'all think I'm the man. None of us are anything. Y'all need to be focused on Jesus and what y'all doing. Y'all picking your favorite personalities. And Apollos was a very eloquent speaker. He would be that guy that everybody loves to hear speak. And a lot of the commentary on this says that that, that, that Paul wanted him to go, and Apollos says, "I just I don't know about that. I, I don't think I need to be going to Corinth. I, I, I I'm not I'm not ready to do that." I didn't like that that you had to deal with, made him uncomfortable probably. You know what you would say? I know you dealt with it, but I think I'm going to give it a little more time before I go back. I don't want to go back in there and they start, hey, Apollos is here and all that again. He was not ready to go back. But you know what Paul said? He said, that was your decision. Uh, he said, I know you all love Apollos, uh, and I want him to bring the letter to you. I tried to get him to do that. Uh, I thought he would do a good job to, to persuade you guys since he's such an eloquent uh, speaker. But I, may, you know, Paul didn't tell him what to do. Obviously, it must have been Apollo's choice, and he said, "I, I just don't think I'm ready to do that yet." So now Timothy and Erastus will do it. Uh, he knew that uh, that he had some name credibility there. But I really believe, in a lot of people think, and I think it makes sense, don't y'all? Apollo says, "I look, we, you've dealt with this divisiveness we had here, and I don't want to create any of that again. Just give me some time. I might go back another time. I'm not. I don't think I'm going to take the letter." So, uh, so Paul uh, apparently. Um, gave him the choice and then he said showing respect to apollos what did he say apollos will come when it's the right time if the lord if lord leads him to come he'll come back to see you and um so and, and we know that um that uh that titus who's there in in uh, in this part of the world too he and apollos were great friends so um this must show you how adamant that apollos may have been because would have been a great chance to go back and see titus and he didn't want, he didn't go so he must have been pretty adamant that he wasn't going to go. Uh, now we come to some of the um, some of the more famous uh, parts of this letter. As a matter of fact, you see men's ministry built on these next two verses everywhere when we started um, uh, what became the at my home church uh, where I was for over 20 years at Shades Mountain Baptist Church, uh, we started it and said this will be our foundational verse. Uh, and, uh, as I said, there's been a lot of people that have talked about this. Rich Wingo does one of the best messages, uh, on these two verses that I personally have ever heard. And if you ever get a chance to hear rich, uh, if he's coming to your church for the first time, he'll probably do this message and it's very, very good. So now he says, I've covered all that. And now I want to say this to the men of the church, 13 and 14, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. And let all you do be done in love. It's a pretty good, pretty good call. Clearly, and this is one thing I think we have to know, guys. Clearly, Paul saw the advancement of the kingdom as a battleground, because this is the kind of military, this is military kind of conversation he's having here, uh, and he's telling us to be on the lookout, and that we yield no ground to the adversary, and that we should be, you know, because the adversary is what. Everybody ever learned this in your life? He's swift to grab some territory, isn't he? Hey, you give him an inch, he'll take a mile. You crack that door, he'll ransack your whole house. And so what Paul is saying is now you be watchful and you better stand firm on the faith. Now, what's one of the things that we could do to be sure that we do both of those? Well, being watchful, that's pretty straightforward. Uh, Don't be naive or be uninformed about the times that you live in what did he what did the writer of hebrews say don't don't live as the unwise live as the wise and understand that the days are evil so if we're watching then uh, when wingo does this message he does an incredible visual where he gets three men out of the audience uh and he, and one of them is is jesus and one is is satan which when you get picked to be satan it's terribly uncomfortable but and and uh and and then and and then of course uh, the um the other, the other person represents whatever means a lot to you, which could be your family or whatever the case may be. And so um, it represents your family if, you're, if you have a man. And what he does, he says, as long as you stay under the authority of Christ, you keep your family under the authority of Christ, it lines up perfectly. You under the authority of Christ, them under your authority, which also puts them under the authority of Christ if you're the spiritual leader. And now whatever the adversary is trying to do to them, he's got to go through Jesus. But if you step out away from Jesus and pull your family out away from Jesus, now the adversary has a free shot at them, and uh, and because he didn't have to go through Jesus anymore, because you moved Jesus out of the house and uh, are out of your life and out of their lives, and so um, what he is saying is, you do you got to be watchful, but you're only good at being watchful if you then stand firm in the faith, meaning you got to know the faith. Do you know the questions that Satan is going to try to deceive you and your family with? Do you have the answers? You you may say all day long, let, let, let's say that somebody said, Rick, I need you. And I'm looking at Jim back there. Hey, I need you to guard this property. Okay. Now, look, the people coming after the property are going to be armed. And and you look, and I'm standing out there. I have no weapons, none. What are you going to do, Rick? Well, I'm, I guess I'll stand at the door and try to keep them from coming through. Well, they're going to shoot you. Do you not have anything to shoot back? I don't. You have nothing to defend the house with? Well, I'm I'm here. Yeah, but but what they're bringing, you don't have the weapons to defend this place. Yeah, but I'm watching. With no weapons. So do you think I'm going to be able to defend the property? Not very long. So what he says is you got you got to be watchful, but you got to stand firm in the faith, meaning you got to have the answers. You've got to have the weapons to fight against the adversary and the lies that he's going to try to tell you and your family, and if you, your wife, your children don't know the answers and you don't either, and then he walks in with that game plan he's been using since the fall of mankind and says to your family, are you sure God really said this? And they're like, I don't know. Go ask Dad. And, And you know what's bad? If Satan knows, he don't know either. So then I'll tell you who God is, which will be the wrong picture. And I'll tell you how sexuality should be done. I'll tell you how the family should look. I'll tell you how your work should be done. I'll tell you what you should spend your time on. And if you can't counter that going, well, that sounds like a lie to me. Why do you think it's a lie? Because I know what God said. Well, if you don't, then good luck defending that property. Bravery and courage must be involved. You know what he's telling them, and I love this, and it's all right to say this, and it's no coincidence that our society now demonizes this, and I'm going to say it loud because it's right out of the Bible, and it's going to upset people, and I couldn't care less about it because it doesn't mean because I'm against you. I'm just with him, and if you're against him, and you know what he tells them to do? Act like men. He didn't say act like people. He didn't say act like a woman. He didn't say out like a child. He didn't say out like a human. He said out like men, meaning there is a distinct definition of a man. Certainly women are equal to men, but they are not the same as men, and men are not the same as women, and men are not children. And he's saying if you want to defend this church and if you want to defend the gospel, and you want to defend what we believe, you better act like men. Be brave. Be courageous. They must be strong. And this is not going to be popular again because there's a good kind of weakness, and that is what? For us to be under the authority of Christ and not try to be our own authority. That's a good kind of weakness. But then there's the bad kind of weakness. Cowardice. I, I can't handle the responsibility. I can't. I can't. Do it. I'm not strong enough to do it. I can't defend the faith because I'm weak in that area. Now, you may say, Rick, I don't understand why you're bringing this up. This uh, this is not uh, – sounds like you're leaving the Bible. I'm not – this is in the Bible. One of the things I read in the commentary, and I don't have time for the whole thing, but there was a great Zulu uh, warrior named Chaka during the Zulu wars that went on. Now if you want to talk about kind of a harsh way to handle weakness and they were they were going to take on some of their enemies and and he was he was leading them and they, he had them set up in different tribes and they went after their enemies and three of those tribes retreated. Look at it like battalions or whatever. Three of them retreated. They were afraid they would not fight the enemy. Now they went on with the rest of them and they won anyway. But they they were put at risk because three of the battalions, or tribes, ran. They retreated. They would not fight the enemy. And so when the, the guy, the missionary, was talking to Chaka about this, he said, well, what did you do with those that retreated? He said, we gathered them together and we killed them. Okay. He said, there was no room for that. Because if you got those kind of people with you, they're putting everybody else at risk. Now, you may think to yourself, well, now, Rick, that's harsh. And it is. It is harsh. There's no doubt. But turn with me, if you will, to Revelation. Turn with me to Revelation 21. My beautiful wife that has been used by God to teach me so much showed me this. And I thought to myself, I've read this a thousand times, and I never noticed how clear this was in the revelation. I've always just read the list, but I never paid attention to what Sherry pointed me to. So in Revelation 21, we see some good news here. This is good stuff, uh, you know, if you're redeemed. Remember, the book of Revelation is not a book to be afraid of unless you're not redeemed. <laughs> you know, for the lost, it's not a good book. But but for, for, for the redeemed, it's actually a great promise. It, it's a lot to look forward to. So you see in 21 all the beautiful parts about what John is seeing. He said, Then I saw a new heaven and new earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, and God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God, meaning God's going to be, we're going to live with God again, is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And we love this uh, for obvious reasons. He will wipe away every tear, not some, by the way, every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. We talked about that in 1 Corinthians 15. Praise God. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. Anybody say amen to that? But that's to come, right? That's not now. That's to come. For the former things have passed away, and our wonderful Savior, seated on the throne, said, Behold, I'm making all things, not some things. I'm making all things new. And now listen to this. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and they're true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will come from the spring of the water of life without payment. Watch this. Anybody ready for seven? Now think about what Paul's already saying. You ready for this? The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Look at the first on the list, verse 8. But as for the cowardly, number one on the list, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexual immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Who's number one on the list? The cowardly. Sounds like Chaka and God kind of had a similar plan. The cowardly. And Paul says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. And then he says what? Let all you you do be done in love. Does that mean that everything we do, we should do it uh, in, in a way that is loving? Yes. But you know what it really means? Be sure everything you're doing is because of your love and devotion of God, not to bring glory to yourself. You're doing this because you love God. And because you love God, you love other people. But you know what it doesn't say? It does not say be cowardly, and I'm okay with that. It does not say that, and neither does the book of Revelation, apparently. So now he gets into uh, some personal stuff. And personal comments, in 15, he says, Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus was the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these as every fellow worker and laborer. He says, I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and then some other names that that I can't say, uh, because they have uh, made up for your absence, for they refresh my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such men. So the, when he talks about Stephanus, this was the first Corinthian to convert under Paul's ministry, his first household to do that, and um, and it, 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 and that's why he's saying that it was the first fruits. Uh, uh, the, and, and Achaia, that was the first fruits uh, in Paul's ministry, was Stephanus when he came to to Corinth. Uh, Paul, and it says this didn't happen a whole lot. But Paul personally baptized him, and he was one of the few people that that got that. Uh, Paul apparently totally endorses uh, the confirmation uh, in Stephanus of the Holy Spirit and vouches uh, for him. He endorses he and these other men. He endorses their ministry, uh, and um, and and he says that um, that he gets to the the point. He says from the gift that they brought to Paul. Now, he's not saying the gift that they brought to Paul should make everybody at Corinth feel bad if you didn't send him anything. Uh, he's not He's not getting on them about their lack of giving. Uh, what he is saying is he wants to acknowledge that uh, they took care of him when he needed to be taken care of. They provided support he needed, apparently, to fill a gap. He got to the point that he said, hey, man, I, I don't know how I'm going to do this next thing I need to do. These three guys show up, and they say, we got it. We covered that. And, uh, and he says uh, they came in God's perfect timing and they helped me and they refreshed me just when I needed. it. Y'all got those kind of people? You got those people in your life? They just seem to show up right at the perfect time and say, hey, man, I'm here for you. Paul's sitting there going, I'm out of money. I'm wore out. And he looks up and here comes uh, Stephanus and these other two guys, and, and they were part of the first fruits of his ministry there in Corinth. And they show up and they say, by the way, here's the financial support you need. Here's whatever you need to be refreshed. And let us see if we can't just be with you. And he said they showed up in God's perfect time. I hope, and let me ask you this. Not only do you have those kind of people, are you that kind of person? Are you that kind of person? Do you do you show up for other people right when they need you? And your brothers of the faith, sisters of the faith, and say, hey, we're, we're here right when you need us there's just a there's just a a wonderful feeling and I've got to experience experience it when you look up and there they are at the perfect time and I hope you have those kind of people and uh, and I hope you are that kind of person to those that need you and Paul said he wanted them to be recognized for what they've done the rest of it's pretty straightforward uh it's just greeting stuff the churches of Asia send you greetings you remember Aquila and Priscilla. He's talking about their church they have in their house. Uh, they send you hearty greetings, and the Lord, uh, all the brothers send you greetings. Uh, greet each other with a holy kiss. Now, for our times, I love y'all. Don't don't be greeting me with a holy kiss. Okay. What, what what this was something that they did in that culture. Uh, really, what Paul would say to us: Be sure you greet each other with a hearty handshake, and give everybody a hug. Love you, Jerry. No holy kiss from you. Thank you. Uh, but, uh, I would, I would take a side hug and a hearty handshake. So, but what he's b- bottom line is he's saying, whatever the culture, be sure that you greet each other with joy and be there for each other and lift each other up. Uh, and then he gets into to 21 through 24. And, um, I found this very interesting. I Paul write this greeting with my own hand. Now, why is that important? Well, most of the time, except for Galatians, we know that Paul dictated his letters. Someone else wrote them. Sometimes they tell us who it is, and sometimes they don't. Now, not not his letter to Galatia. He he wrote that himself, uh, and he usually uh, and he said because many people think, and some people go go as far as to say think they may this might have been the thorn in his flesh that he talks about in Second Corinthians. I don't know whether that's true or not. It sounds a little different to me. But we do know how Paul was converted, don't we? How he was blinded. Jesus met him face-to-face, face, why are you persecuting me, and he blinded him. Well, many commentators and, and theologians believe that Paul's eyesight never really came back completely, that he struggled to see. It was it was a problem for him, so it was hard for him to write his own letters. But what he would do from time to time, he's not saying he wrote this letter to Corinth, the entire letter, with his own hand. Sometimes people would even sign the letters for him. He said, but not now. I'm, I'm going to sign this one. Why? Because a lot of people were sending false letters. They were sending letters and they were forging Paul's name, trying to cause confusion in the churches. So Paul got the point. He said, no, I'll sign this myself. You'll see it's my signature. I'm going to write this greeting with my own hand. And and then this is something that, that I just, um, uh, <laughs> I just can't believe what he, what he says here, uh, in 21. Because you you hear everything that he's talking about. And this is that moment sometimes where I think, and again, it has to be righteous. And it, it's not about being mean. But do you find it odd that all of a sudden Paul's doing all this love and all these greetings? Then also in 21, he says, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Where did that they- get? I mean I mean it's he's talking about let's let's give each other a holy kiss be sure and hug hey Priscilla and Aquila say hello they love y'all hey this, that everything's going great. Oh by the way, anybody doesn't love the Lord let him be accursed. Uh, he throws that in and uh, and he said, our Lord will come. So if, if you look at uh, the the original Greek word here he says the Lord cometh, the Lord cometh so so he's saying if anyone, curses the lord then that person brings a curse on himself and and paul's not putting a curse on anybody so don't read it that way what he's saying is if you've rejected jesus you brought a curse on yourself and there were people in the church and around that were saying things remember we've already covered this It bad theology they were presenting jesus in the wrong way uh and and, and he says hey any of these people let me tell you straightforward in the letter if you're talking trash about Jesus in this church, you brought a curse on yourself because I'm going to tell you what, the Lord's coming back. The Lord's coming back and he's going to deal with those who have rejected him. And, uh, I, I, can you imagine me doing that and just be you know, talking and, and passing and, you know, you saying, Hey guys, thank y'all for being with us. Thank y'all for coming out tonight. It's great, man. We love y'all. Y'all did such a great job. The food was fantastic. By the way, any of y'all that don't love the Lord, may you be cursed. Wouldn't that be a, ra- a weird wa- a weird wrap-up for me to throw in at that point? It would almost like it was covered in the meat of the message. But, oh, by the way, for, before I go, just so you know, if you're against Jesus, you brought a curse on yourself, and I got nothing for you. So, um, So then he goes on to say, The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you. All in Christ Jesus. Amen. So he is saying, If you don't love the Lord Jesus, you are doomed. And he's just stating a sobering fact. But then, 23, what does he say? The Lord loves you, 24, and I love you. The Lord loves you, and I love you. The grace of the Lord be with you. My love with uh, with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. What a powerful letter. What a powerful letter. So many things to take away. So many things to take away. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for our time together. Thank you so much, Lord, for um, the opportunity to just sit and and read history. I mean, this all really happened. And, And it's so clear when we see this chapter 16 after the incredible supernatural things that we learned last week, finishing 15, that now Paul's just getting back to business. This is what's to come. But now let's talk about what we need to do until the Lord comes. But he is coming. May we take that just, if we don't take anything else out of the lesson today, and there's a lot to take out, let's at least apply that. I mean, why do we keep putting your work last as a low priority and everything that means nothing first? We certainly should be responsible. We certainly should take care of the things, uh, the matters that need to be taken care of, even though they're temporal. But may they never take more of our time than those things that are eternal. We should be about your business. As Paul clearly lays out, and Lord, may we assess where we stand with you today. Uh, are are we the kind of people that Paul is calling this church to be, or not? And if not, then maybe we should correct it. And maybe some of the correction just is simply because we're lost and we don't know you. Maybe we're over there in that in that group that is accursed because we we have no love for you. I mean, you you're on record for how much you love us, but the question is, do we love you? That's what Paul's asking. Jesus loves you, but do you love him? And and if the answer by looking at our life looks like no, well, maybe it's because we need you to teach us how to love you. So today we repent of our sin, and we submit to your authority, not our own, and we say, Lord, forgive us. And we know that you love us. We see that. Now teach us to love you, because when we love you, we'll obey you, and you'll become priority, and we'll remove the curse that sin has on our lives. Have you done that today for the first time or maybe the first time you meant it? Or maybe it's been a long time and you're clinging to some cultural Christianity and today you're like, you know, I need to clarify my my situation with Jesus. He's listening. May his grace be with you. He loves you. And as the Apostle Paul said, and I'm with him, I love you. And I love you because I'm commanded to love you even if I don't know you. Uh, and I'm thankful to be given the opportunity to talk about the most important thing that has ever happened the greatest story this is history this did happen and where do you stand in opposition to jesus or under the authority of jesus lord all these things are in your hands and i pray lord that you be glorified in your name we pray amen so uh last bible study for this room will be in a new room coming up next year if you need to reach me if you're not sure where to go or whatever if you're some of the guys in the room you weren't here today uh, just uh, rick at rickandbubba.com, rick at com, or if you have my phone, text me. Uh, we'll try to get you to the new place. We're going to be off for the next two weeks. The next uh, new Bible study will be on January the 5th, and we'll start our study of the book of Genesis. Have a Merry Christmas.